Welcome to CPA Advisory Show. I'm Jeremy Wells, and with me as always is my co-host, Chris Hershon. How you doing, Chris? Best day ever, Jeremy. I, I'm not sure if I'm doing that well, but I'm doing pretty well. Okay, that's a start. So, look, there is an issue in this industry with one word in particular, and a lot of accountants that I run into and talk to um, act like it's a bad word. They act like it's a four-letter word. It's not. It's five-letter word, sales. Um, we don't want to seem like salespeople. We're professionals. We're above that. I, I disagree. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the word sales? I don't know that I feel one way or the other about it. I'm curious why you disagree, though. I, I think this gets back to uh, an issue that I have with the profession and, and a lot of people in the profession in general. And uh, when I say people in the in the profession, I mean firm owners, especially on the smaller end of firm owners. Uh, they forget that they're running businesses, right? They're so worried about running accounting firms uh, that they forget that they're running businesses. And it's especially true. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I don't hold myself above that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think you have to look at uh, an accounting firm as a business. And, you know, I go back to traction, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneur operating system, uh, because the first time I read that book, one of the things that stood out to me and that I always remember is when they break the business down into three sort of pillars or columns, right? You've got operations, which is actually doing the thing that the business tells its customers it's going to do. You've got admin and finance, which is, you know, where our wheelhouse is, right? Making sure that all the trains are running on time. Everybody's got what they need. The copier stays full of paper, those kinds of things. Um, and then you've got sales and marketing. Right? And, and you know, whether those should be one pillar or split or, or whatever, essentially, uh, you've just got to think of that as the engine that brings uh, new money into the business or that keeps the old money coming in to the business, right? And without that, without sales, without revenue, you don't have a business. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of issues in the industry that whether we say it out loud or not, to me indicates that we have uh, sort of a negative view that we take the word sales and, and marketing as well, but marketing is a whole separate conversation, uh, but that we take the word sales with a negative connotation that because we're professionals, somehow we should be above sales. I don't know. I don't know how you can be because you're, you're selling stuff, you're selling services, you're selling, you're selling stuff. Well, and, and I, and I, th I think if you said that to a lot of professionals and, and especially accounts, especially attorneys, right? There would, I think there would be a reflex. I think there would be a bit of a recoil from that because they don't think of themselves as selling services. I think they think of themselves as providing them, right? That, you know, we provide services and in exchange, we get our fees or we, you know, we uh, get paid for the, the, the hours that we put in or the fixed fees or however you want to price it. Even the word price itself, I think kind of goes along with sales, right? I think, I think there's a lot of resistance to using the word price fees. We're fine with rates. We're fine with prices. Um, a lot of, a lot of accounts, a lot of attorneys, a lot of professionals, uh, tend to recoil at that term, at least the, the ones that, you know, I see, uh, in conversation. Listening to you talk about it in that way, it makes me think that yeah, the difference between being a service provider is you're doing the service and then you're sending the bill and maybe the customer knew how much you're going to bill them for, maybe they don't. And then, you know, there's this uncomfortable thing that happens on the back end where it's like, maybe they'll pay it, maybe they'll complain, maybe I'll write it down. Mm -hmm. Like that whole, that whole old way of doing things, right? Right. right. 
it is the client tail wagging the firm dog, right? That's the way that's the way I look at a lot of firms that are using that traditional model, right? And and I think a lot of the issues that we have in our profession and our industry stem from this, right? Like we've talked a lot on this show about hourly billing, time-based billing, and a lot of the problems that causes, right? Because how can you tell your customer, your client, how much it's going to cost to do their tax return, do their audit, prepare their financial statements if you're using time-based billing? Well, you can't because you don't know how long it's going to take, right? And so if it takes you an hour, cool. If it takes you 10 hours, that's cool too, right? Because you're just going to send them a bill and expect them to pay it. Right. And kind of like listening to you describe the situation just makes me think that the, the flip side of that, the sales is just saying like, I will do X, Y, and Z for you for this price, maybe or maybe not over this time frame, depending on what it is. And we either agree to it or not. And then what those things are should be based on whatever your expertise is. And then your assessment of what the, situ- the customer situation is. Yeah. That's just, that to me is just the difference. I, and I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I think the problem is uh, professionals, uh, you know, and, and I'm using this broadly here, right? I know our audience is accountants, but you know, I, I think this is, I think accountants are just one subset of these professional knowledge workers, right? You know, we've had Ron Baker on the show. We talk, you know, he, what what he's saying is is obviously geared toward accountants, but it's applicable to you know whether it's an accounting firm or a legal firm or even an advertising firm, right? We're talking about you know professional knowledge based services, and you instantly, especially accountants, especially the way accountants are trained to think uh, in terms of cost accounting, management accounting, margins, all these kinds of things, they instantly begin thinking, well, okay, if my revenue is fixed, meaning because, you know, I've charged a certain price and I don't know how long it's going to take us to complete this project. I don't know if there are going to be any complications along the way because it's finance, whether it's, you know, taxes or audit or financial statement preparation or M&A work or whatever you're doing, right? Like you're, you're going to run into some hiccups along the way. You're going to uncover, you know, some bit of information you didn't have at the outset that you didn't ask about during discovery, right? And that's going to add on more time, add on more work. And so every time that happens, right, our margins shrink, as opposed to, you know, billable hours, where if we need to take an extra hour to do the work, well, guess what, our margins are fixed, our margins are the same, because even though our costs have gone up, so has what we're going to bill, assuming, hey, right, the customer's actually going to pay, and you're not going to write any of that down. Um, so, so yeah, it, it just, it, it comes back to, are you able and willing to define the nature of what you're going to do in such a way that you're comfortable pricing it up front, selling it, collecting the payment up front, and then guaranteeing whatever it is that you actually sold, right? And and I think this is also the hard part. If you think you're selling time, then you're never going to get off that model. If you think you're selling forms in a tax return, you're probably also never going to get off that model. But if you think you're selling something different, if you think you're selling something that your customers or clients, whichever one you want to call them, are actually buying, which is not forms, it's not time, it's not any of those things, um, then there's then there's hope for getting you off that model. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like, if, Have you ever dealt with a customer or even like, 
operating your own firm where something comes up, you're like, man, I really need an attorney for that. Or maybe I should hire an attorney for that. Or maybe I should consult an attorney. And then the first thing, especially when you're a small firm or you're just starting out, it's like, well, if I do that, how much is that going to cost? And you don't know because they're all crazy expensive and they all bill by the hour and you just don't have any frame of reference and you have no idea how much it's going to cost. It's like, well, do I even start on that path? It's the same thing for our customers. Well, and, you know, we had an episode with uh, John Tobin of Council for Creators, right, where he's uh, introduced a model where, uh, you know, you can subscribe to a law firm. Now, I think what you're actually subscribing to is is relatively restricted, right? You're, you're essentially subscribing to the expertise and the ability to ask questions, which honestly is, is 90% of, of what, you know, in, in the normal course of business is happening. And, and I think this is true of accountants as well. Uh, I've gotten clients that have come to me and signed up with me because we met during a networking event or, you know, they found out about me online. They already had an accountant. They already had a tax advisor or a bookkeeper or whatever, um, but they were charging by the hour. And especially uh, in back in 2020, right, summer of 2020, I had a few clients sign up with me who all, who were coming from other accountants because they had questions about COVID and, and relief for small businesses. And they asked their accountants, and a week later, they get an invoice in the mail for $250, $300, because they called and talked to, you know, maybe the firm partner, maybe not even the firm partner, right? But they got billed at the partner's rate, uh, you know, for a 20-minute conversation of what's available to me. Do I qualify for any of this stuff? You know, I'm... I'm getting shut down. I'm not getting shut down, but my business is still affected. All these kinds of questions that everybody you know had during that period. And the last thing you want is a week later to get an invoice in the mail when the result of that call was either, uh, I don't know, we still don't have enough guidance. I'll have to look into that for you. <laughs> or, right, no, I'm pretty sure you don't qualify because it doesn't sound like your business has been affected. And so now I got to pay $300 to you know, just sort of get a little bit of peace of mind. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, when these clients came to me and said, okay, I understand that I'm paying a fixed amount every month and that's more than I was paying before, but you're never going to send me an invoice a week later after I, you know, schedule a call with you or send you an email with a few questions. Right. Yeah, that that sounds good to me. Right. And and again, John Tobin doing a similar thing uh, in in law. Right. You know, setting up a, a, a legal firm that you can subscribe to to get your questions answered. Now, if you need an actual document written up or you need help registering a, a business or you know something more complicated than that, I think they have a separate pricing structure for those sorts of things. But again, you would at least want to have the conversation first, right? Do I need to set up a new entity for this? This is a question that we as accountants get asked all the time, right? Because, you know, we, we are, according to AICPA, right? We're our, we're the number one advisors for uh, for our clients, right? We're, we're typically their first call. They're going to come to us to see if they don't have to go to an attorney, right? Um, and so they come to us, they ask questions, and either, right, you sit there and say, all right, well, that was some time out of my day that I couldn't work on other stuff. So I guess I've just got to eat it and spend an extra hour in the office tonight, right? you know, or, 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 you know, get into work an hour earlier tomorrow to make up for it. Uh, or I've got to send them an invoice for that hour, or you just bake it into the pricing model to begin with. 
Okay, so that, I think that kind of tees up the conversation pretty nicely as far as what's the difference between sales and then what's the difference between being a service provider. Now, the next, I think, nuance here that we really need to distinguish before we go any further is what is the difference between sales and marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so the way the way I've been taught this, and when I say taught, I don't mean in a formal like classroom setting, but but the way that that yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So so the way I think about it is uh actually three uh different parts to it, right? The first part is branding, um, or what marketers might also call positioning, but then I think some marketers disagree and say those are different things. But but I think first of all, you've got to figure out you know, what, what's unique about you and your firm? What, what separates your firm from every other firm, from every other account, from every other CPA, from every other EA, you know, whatever other exact, you know, options exist out there in the marketplace. Why you instead of all them, or I, I think even more importantly, right. I'm not saying we should see each other as, as competitors. I think even more importantly than that, as, as opposed to just not doing anything at all, right. Or, or to DIYing it you know, doing it, doing it yourself. So when, when, you know, I see other uh, accounts, especially tax preparers, you know, talking about, uh, you know, some of those options that exist out there for people to do their own tax returns, those kinds of things. If you think they're your competition, you're already done. You know, you, you should just, yeah, you should just go ahead and pack it in. If you think you're competing with a national brand backed by a global company that has the funds to take out 30 second spots during the Super Bowl, you're, you're just, you might as well pack it in. Um, so, right, exactly. So, so that's a positioning and branding question, right? So you figure that out. The next step then is, okay, now you know what you're about, but nobody else does. So how do you get the rest of the market? How do you get those people that should be coming to you Instead of either doing it themselves or going to other people, how do you get them to be aware of you and, and the fact that you exist as an option? And to me, that's where marketing comes in. So there's a ton of different ways you can do that, right? Um, and then I think advertising is the third level of that, right? Once you're really clear on the marketing, if you know you want to maximize that awareness, you can start paying for advertising. But I think advertising is the tax you pay for an unremarkable product. I think if you get the branding and the marketing really well, especially with the kinds of businesses that we're running, advertising shouldn't be necessary. Um, again, I see a lot of accounts, especially this time of year, say that, you know, I, I signed up for some Google ads or I signed up for some Facebook ads and nothing happened. Well, <laughs> what, what were in those ads, right? Was it anything compelling or did you just blow a hundred bucks on having some promoted posts on social media that everybody just scrolled past? Um, cause, cause there are some good ads out there, right. That people are still scrolling past. So, so what made, what made your ad compelling for anybody? I doubt it was anything because you probably didn't have your branding and your marketing figured out first. Right. So then once your marketing is in place and people are actually showing up at your door, you know, whether that's in your email inbox or, uh, on your website, trying to book uh, a discovery call or fill out an intake form. Right. Now the question is, okay, how do I convert these people into, into buyers and that sales? To touch on the advertising piece, just quickly, I've done that over the last five years in various forms, all of it basically DIY. My takeaway there is basically number one, didn't put enough money behind it. And then number two, 
I'm an accountant. I have no business running my own ads. I should hire somebody to do that, which is expensive. And maybe I'll do that in the future. Maybe I won't. Not sure. But like, buyer, definitely buyer beware there. If you're going to throw hundred bucks at Facebook ads, like you're probably not going to see anything. But anyway, uh, so the difference between it's a hundred bucks you could have bought Bitcoin with and probably had, you know, a similar result, right? <laughs> Pro- yeah, probably. Great. Uh, so marketing, there's two, there's two segments of it is the way that I would, is the way that I kind of think about it. One is outbound, one is inbound. So outbound is when you're actually going out to the market and trying to get people aware of you or to bring people in, into your orbit. Uh, inbound would be you're producing content and then you want people to find you. Like you're writing a blog post or you're posting on Twitter, or you're doing something in social, something like that. All of those things I think are important. And there's probably one to three, I would say channels that you probably need to lean into, um, with one being a, a big focus, whatever that's going to be, wherever your audience is, it just kind of depends on kind of firm you're running and what kind of customers you're trying to attract. So once you get people into your orbit, the process of taking those people and turning them into customers, that's where sales lies. So marketing, get, get people to know you, know, like, and trust. Sales, get those people who know, like, and trust you to be customers, to actually physically give you money. So when we're talking about the sales process. That's what we mean. So here's a couple of things, right? If you think about your, your traditional accounting firm, so two things. One, uh, especially over the last couple of years, uh, between a few different trends in the industry. One, things are becoming more complex, so our customers are just becoming less and less. It, it, the, the ones who who are looking for help uh, are, are more willing to look for help uh, than try to DIY it. And on the flip side, uh, because of the aging, the the you know the the median. A sort of uh, tax professional or accounting professional in the country is getting older. And so it's getting harder and harder to find one uh, to do that. And on the flip side, we don't have as many people coming into the profession uh, to fill, to keep the ranks full. So one, uh, you know, there it's, it, there's just, there's more fish in the sea, right? Like we don't need to be uh, th- this is what I'm, you know, one thing that I've heard, right, is, is why market, you know, we've got plenty of people that want our services. And then the other one is, uh, we are uh, a profession like a lot of other professional uh, and service-based firms where our, our marketing is word of mouth, right? If we have, uh, you know, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Well, you, it's, it's, it, yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, it's just not, it's, it's more passive, right? It's marketing. We're not doing right there. There, you know, our, our clients are out there doing it for us. They're bringing people to our door, um, or people are just bringing themselves in, uh, to the door. So is, uh, you know, why, why should I, why should I be putting efforts into marketing? Why not just wait, uh, for people you know, to just show up at my door needing their tax returns done. I'll give you a great example. Okay, let's assume that I have not been operating this firm for the last basically dozen years, but five full-time. I am currently sitting, we talked about this on a prior episode, right? I have an office now. So I moved out of my house. Well, I didn't really move out of my house. I got kicked out of my house. But I'm in an office now, okay? It's a new building, no sign on the door, none. If I had just put a desk in this room that I am currently sitting in, as a CPA and just waited, I would have no revenue. So there are, there are literally tens of thousands of people around me right now who need tax returns done in the next, whatever, 60 days, right? 
But if I had, if I do nothing, nobody will know I'm here. There's no sign on the door. I'm not listed anywhere. I'm not in the yellow pages. You can't look me up. Like there's like none of that exists, right? Be so how would I, how would I get any revenue? And if I don't have, we already said, well, you said, if we don't have revenue, we don't have a business. Okay. So if I put a sign on the door, that's marketing. If I, or like, if I put a logo on there, that's, that's branding, which is part of marketing. If I list myself in some sort of a business directory, that's marketing. If I list myself on Google business, so people know what my address is, if people just start showing up the door, that's, that's marketing. And we can talk about whether or not that's marketing or advertising or whatever, but then, you know, sometimes the distinction isn't quite clear, but yeah. Well, and I would argue also, right. That the way right, th there, there are, um, there are subtle, and I think there are even, uh, like, like things that we're doing as firm owners, even if we're not conscious of them, right? If we're following industry standards or best practices, or, you know, we're running our firms the way AICPA wants us to run our firms or the way the big four run their firms, right? If we're doing those kinds of industry standard ways of running our firms, I think we are also positioning or branding and marketing ourselves in a way that we're not aware of, right? So for example, if you name your firm as the partners that own the firm and you put that on a sign and you put that out by the road in front of the building that your firm is in, right? And, and you just put under that, you know, certified public accountant or, you, you know, whatever, right? Then that right there is positioning your firm in a certain way, whether you realize it or not, because you've allowed the market Right, to determine what your firm is all about. So you might be trying to build a firm that has a very niche specialization, you know, that, that only works with a certain industry or only provides a certain kind of service or only works with clients of a certain level of, of wealth or, you know, if it's businesses, a certain level of revenue or whatever, right? But if your sign by the road just says, you know, Abel Baker, Charlie, CPAs, right, then nobody knows that. Right. And everybody just assumes you're just another CPA firm on the corner that does tax returns, does bookkeeping, does payroll, does audits for anybody and everybody that wants to walk in and do that. Right. So I, I think the, the key point there is even if you're not consciously branding and marketing, you kind of still are right with with just your presence in the marketplace. Yeah, you have to be. There's there's no two ways about it regardless of you know, you're doing something that can be considered marketing so that people become aware of you for sure it's something so then that turns into thinking about your sales process right because yeah because now the way you branded or positioned and marketed your firm is going to dictate who's showing up to be sold to so what's your sales process what does it look like what do you do right exactly and and i think a lot of firms are well no i I, yeah, I understand. I understand, right? Um, <laughs> well, well, see, and this is this is where I think it's important to think about the other steps first, right? That's why we can't just jump into sales without talking about marketing, right? Because you know, first of all, you've got to decide who you want to sell to, right? Who do you want to get through that process? Well, you want to fill that process with as many people who are going to be qualified candidates to be sold to. Otherwise, you're wasting time with a lot of people that you don't want to sell to, right? And how do you do? How do you limit that? Well, you 
position yourself well and you market to just those people. And so then once they're in there, now the question is, okay, they've made it this far. They made it into the door, right? How do I make sure that they're actually qualified, right? How do they make sure, how do I make sure that they're actually somebody I want to work with? So I see sales, not as me trying to sell services to this prospect, I see sales as the prospect trying to convince me to want to work with them, right? Because they they could DIY. They could go somewhere else that might be better suited for them, right? They, they could find another accountant that's a better fit because I don't want to waste the next three, six, 12 months figuring out that they weren't qualified to work with me or that I'm not interested in working with them and then feel like I've wasted everybody's time. So my sales process is, it, it's actually much more passive. It, it, I mean, it's, it's active. It's, it's work. It's hard work. I, I've worked really hard at my sales process, but over the years, but um, the, the, the point is the, when it, when it actually comes to the sales process, the, the more that, that I'm talking Right. It's the opposite of podcast. <laughs> the more that I'm talking, the less in control of that process I am. Right. So the sales process is actually, and we've talked about uh, our discovery calls before, but the sales process is me trying to find out as much information as I possibly can, which means I ask questions and then I shut up. And that's all sales is to me, right? That's really all sales is to me. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. Because if I get to a point to where it's time to send a proposal to a prospect and I'm still unsure about whether, you know, I put the right services into that proposal or I priced that proposal correctly, or if they're ready to buy that proposal, right? If I'm still unsure of those things, then it's because I didn't ask enough questions or I didn't ask the right questions. Yeah. So I just, I just found it is uh, about 10, uh, 10 or 11 episodes ago. And the episode is called is your discovery process costing you money where we kind of just walk through what our discovery process was, but the discovery process is part of the sales process. Right. So that during your discovery process, you're having a discussion with the customer, then what, what's the, what's the next step? What does that look like? Yeah. So the first thing is, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got to ask questions. I I've got to start with the basics, right? You know, what, what are you doing? Who, you know, what industry are you in? What, what's your target customer? Now, a lot of this I'm picking up from the intake form, but even when I get them on the call, I still go over things from the intake form because when, people are typing something out to schedule a call, they might give a different response than when they're actually in person live trying to work through it, right? Either they're, they're typing and so they're taking their time and they're saying things a certain way. And then when they're trying to explain it in person, they're fumbling it, right? Or they're, they're remembering things that they didn't think about when they were typing it out or whatever, right? So I'll kind of go back over some of the same information. They'll also probably give up some information that they didn't when they were typing it out, right? So for example, if on the intake form, I'm asking about, you know, revenue, you know, what, what are your projected revenues for the 12, next 12 months? When you ask them that same question on the call, they're not just going to give you a number the way they did on that intake form. They're going to give you a number and then they're going to start explaining that number, how they come up with that number. Why do you know, why they think that number, 
or is it really a number and or or a range right and if it's a range why is it a range and how wide is that range and where's that range coming from and what's their justification for that range as opposed you know are they being more conservative or are they being you know more aggressive with that estimate and so there are lots of things that they get into very quickly when they're just talking about it that instantly start telling you things about what do they really need? What are they really trying to accomplish? So when I've had, and, and you know, we're to like the second question of, of discovery here. We're five minutes into the call at that, right? And already I'm learning an incredible amount of stuff about them. So for example, if they don't know, if they don't have a projection for what revenue or their projection is just kind of all over the place for what revenue over the next 12 months is, I'm betting they, they don't have a good sales process. I'm betting they don't have a good pipeline. I'm betting they don't have books, you know, that they can look back to and therefore forecast what the next 12 months is going to be. Or maybe they've got a lot of doubts about their industry, right? Maybe they, they think their industry is not that recession proof and we're hearing headlines about entering recession. And so they're nervous, right? And so they're looking for, you know, more safeguards in the process, or they're looking for advice on how to get through a recession, right? Instantly, you start getting all of these different ideas about not just what services, right? Are they looking to sign up for? But what's the actual goal here? What's the actual intended result that they're trying to achieve through this process? And that ultimately is what's going to drive the proposal, what's going to drive the rest of the sales process. Right. So, so that's what I'm trying to get at. That's what I'm digging for. And again, this is, you know, all what we covered in the discovery call process, but again, sales to me is not me trying to sell services to them. Sales to me is them trying to make me want to work with them. And so if they're coming to me and they don't really have good estimates, good projections, and they just seem nonchalant about it, and they don't really seem driven or motivated or clear on what they're trying to accomplish. It's not that I couldn't help them. It's just I've got other prospects who are more motivated, they're more driven, they're more clear on what they're trying to accomplish. And you know, I could probably get them further over the next six to 12 months. And so I start thinking in terms of opportunity costs, right? Which, you know, which of these two prospects I mean, they, every, you know, all else equal, right? They could be coming to me with the same revenue, same projections, same number of clients, you know, same number of employees living in the same state, both have books set up in QBO, you know, all these different kinds of things. But if one is clear on what the expectations for the next 12 months are, and the other one isn't, one is driven, the other one isn't, well, I'm probably going to be able to get the clear and driven one a lot further over the next 12 to 24 months than the one who's not clear. So it's these kinds of things that I'm looking for. It's not just, hey, will they buy services from me? One of the questions I love to ask too, which kind of gets to uh, the list that you rattled off, customer books a call with us. I always go and look at the website. I go and look at the website, I go and look at their LinkedIn, like that sort of thing. And like I figure out what they do and who they do it for because that's their positioning and that's their marketing and it the website tells me, but I always ask them in your own words, what do you do? Who do you do it for? And why do you do it? And you learn so much about them just as a person and what yeah. it is that they're trying to accomplish just by asking that simple question. It's a great question. Absolutely. Yeah. One of, one of the things that uh, I've learned the most, because when I started off, I started off uh, trying to work primarily with what I called freelancers, right? Uh, mostly independent contractors. And I found very quickly that a lot of them 
just happened to be employees that were paid as independent contractors and therefore they were freelancers. And that's a very different mindset from entrepreneurs, right? It's a very different mindset from business owners. They are just looking, right? The, the, the freelancers are entrepreneurs or business owners by not by their own making. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a very different sales process. It's a very different discovery process for them as opposed to somebody that's actually trying to start and run a business. Yeah. They're wildly different. Running a business is really, really hard for sure. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show. And we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. We talked about our discovery calls on a prior, prior podcast, so I don't think we need to go any deeper into that. It's part of the sales process. The next part of the sales process that we do is we always ask for uh, QuickBooks access. We ask for account access. So mm -hmm. myself and somebody on my team can go and uh, go and look at the books. And then we ask for last two years of tax returns. We look at that information, then we schedule a strategy call. And the strategy call is really where the sale happens. And and where I, we've kind of iterated it over the last couple of years. Um, and I would say at this point, the basis of that, of that strategy call really comes out of that, of, out of the book. I think I mentioned in the first podcast, it's called getting naked and it's where the whole just be helpful thing came from. And it's a bit, it's a business fable. It's a short read, great book, uh, but just be helpful. So we have a whole deck that we go through. It talks about who we are, how we do things in particular, like data security, how we run meetings, that sort of stuff. And we provide value. So. What is it that you said you wanted to accomplish during our discovery call? Why are we here? Why, what can we do to help? So we talk about that or actually we summarize it, basically just reiterating back to the customer, what it is that they said to us. And I think that that, I think that lends a little bit of credibility to us because it shows that we are listening and a lot of what we do and what we're about is just listening, ask questions and, and listen, just shut up. Like, like, like you said. Okay. So, so take a step back. First of all, um, what if, what if they don't have books and returns? Are you saying that you're only working with established business clients or, you know, what, what if they come to you and like it, they just started earlier in the year? Yeah. So occasionally they'll have, uh, returns that are not relevant. Like, you know, maybe they've got personal returns, but now they're a partnership mm -hmm. or now they're an S corp or whatever. Like, so I wouldn't really consider those to be relevant. If there are no books, we can do that. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive. And you, and somewhere in that discovery process, you need to have proven to us that you could actually afford us. Like just because you don't have books, just because you're brand new does not mean that I'm going to blow up all of our processes, load up a bunch of work onto my team and then not make a sufficient enough margin for it. Right? Like we're taking on risk with every single customer for sure and time, energy, effort, all of that stuff. And so we need to be compensated for it. So we need to be sure that you can actually compensate us for that before we really go anywhere. It, you know, at that point, there's no books, there's no tax returns, they're brand new. You know, maybe they're doing like 50 grand in revenue, something like that. You know, they're basically like brand new, just starting. It's probably not a good fit for us. We can help you in other ways though. Like here's a whole list of free resources that are on our website that will get you going. Here's a course on how to manage QuickBooks that'll get you going. 
Um, here's a YouTube channel here. Like here's a whole bunch of stuff that we can do, or maybe for that uh, specific person, maybe that's just a tax return. Like, Hey, we can do a tax return for you. No problem. And then that's kind of like the gateway in, but they've got to be a good fit. If they're not a good fit, like what are we doing here? That's a completely different problem that we're not interested in creating. For. Yeah. And that's a fantastic point because I would say part of your thinking about your positioning and therefore your marketing is not just thinking about, you know, what's your ideal client like, right? You know, we, we want them to be in high six, low seven figures revenue, you know, these kinds of things, right? I hear a lot of accountants say, well, that's what we're looking for, right? And that's fine. So the flip side of that then is, okay, so somebody walks in the door, how do you disqualify them, right? How do you, how do you say, no, this, this is not going to work, right? Like, well, you're not the ideal, but we'll make an exception for you, right? That kind of becomes the default position. That's a very scary place, right? Because then you wind up loading your capacity and usually overloading your capacity with clients that, oh, if only we had one more zero added to their revenue, maybe they would have qualified, but they didn't, but maybe we can help them get there. You know, that again, that's not a good fit, right? So you've got to have a lower bound on that definition of an ideal client as well. And that gets back to your positioning. You're positioning your firm to be not the firm that helps startups, right? <laughs> that helps startup solopreneurs kind of like figure out you know, their first hundred thousand of revenue or whatever, but that doesn't mean you have to completely leave them high and dry, right? Build those, build those digital assets, right? Have, have resources that you can share with them or sell to them, you know, depending on your business model uh, that can maybe help them become ideal clients. So that they come back to you in a year or two and they've got things figured out. Sure. Like you establish credibility, you, you establish yourself as an expert, and then you provided value to them for free so that when they are ready, they will probably come back to you. So maybe you didn't make that sale now, but your selling process probably made the sale later. And I've had that happen a number of times where two, three years later, somebody comes back and is like, hey, remember we talked a couple of years ago? And maybe I do, maybe I don't, but you know, now they're a fit and now they're a customer and that's great. And that's kind of what we want to have happen. That's part of the pipeline. Now, maybe you're not tracking that type of pipeline. Maybe you're tracking the things that are more you know, in front of you where you think they're gonna close in 30, 60, 90 days, not in three years but it's still a pipeline it still exists. Good deal. Awesome. Okay. So you've figured out that, uh, they might be a good fit. You do the strategy call, you f sort of clarify what you do, how you're going to help them. Then what? What we do, how we're going to help them. Uh, so part of that, we, we do some industry benchmarking that's in there. Like here is where we see you relative to the industry and also relative to our experience with companies that are like mm -hmm. yours. We establish that. And from there, we, you know, basically we've established that we listened to the problems. We gave them some, uh, we also give them tactical ideas, no more than five. Here are specific things that we can help you with, things that we can implement, and that will get you toward the goals that you said that you're trying to achieve. Okay. So we established that we're listening. We established that, uh, we understand their industry and where they are relative to their industry. We established that we're experts and that we can help to solve their problems. Then we get into pricing and we basically just walk through our three-tier model going from highest to lowest. And we walk through, here's the highest model. This is or the highest segment of the model. This is everything that we can do, do well, and walk through the specific services. Depends on the customer, how much detail we get into or not, and just their understanding of what those things are. Uh, and then here's the price. Okay, cool. Moving on. Then we go to the next tier and then the next tier. And then basically just outline here are the next steps. Here's what that means. 
Um, you can either give us a decision to proceed now, or you can give us a decision later. It doesn't matter. And here's what we're going to do. And then here's what onboarding looks like. And then we're done. But that's the sales process. It's not like super salesy. It's not like, oh, well, you have to pick this particular service or whatever. We can do all of these things that maybe you need, maybe you don't need. It's going to cost so much money. And, you know, that sort of thing. It doesn't have to be a hard sell, but we deliver, and this is just the way that we do it. There's a million other ways to do it. We deliver value to the customers so that we establish that we are, that we are credible, that we have expertise and that we understand them. Probably the biggest component there. And then they're, they're going to become a customer where they're not. And if they do, that's great. And if we want to work with them, you know, they're, and they want to work with us, that's great, but not everybody's a fit and that's okay too. But at least, you know, we've taken somebody through this entire process, the discovery call process, providing us with information going through the strategy call process. And even if they don't become a customer, they still got value from us and they left with a good taste in their mouth. So maybe if they're not a fit, maybe they'll go tell their friend, oh, this firm is great. They're just not a fit for me. And maybe they become a client. And at least, you know, we, we get that kind of reputation or at least hopefully within the marketplace. Okay. Cool. Oh, and then the, the, the end of the end of that, we send out the proposal through Ignition. I'm sure that most of our listeners are probably familiar with Ignition and how that works, but. Yeah, that's probably the big one of the big improvements that we made in 2022 is moving to ignition as opposed to this these crappy like word files that we had. So you're saying we do this now, and I'm guessing you mean we as in your firm. So you're doing this as the firm owner until today, pretty much. So today, happy to report, Jeremy. Today we sold our first client in a dozen years that I didn't touch. I haven't met him yet. Which is a great thing. So, no, so no, I am not. So, the discovery call process is being handled by our salesperson. We have an internal salesperson. His name is Jeff, and he handles the discovery call process. And then he facilitates getting information and building that rapport and things like that. And then he and one of the accountants on my team, Heather, who she was employee number one, so she knows all of the things. Right? She's she is now basically the accounting expertise on those strategy calls, which is the second step. So. The two of them get on the strategy call and they walk through with the customer and they do all the analysis before the meeting and stuff like that. So they, you know, they're familiar and uh, know what providing value looks like, at least in the way that we've done it. And they're going to iterate the process and that's totally cool. Um, But they get on the strategy call and then they're the ones that sell it and close it and send out the engagement letter and all that stuff. And so, no, I am no longer involved, which is great. That's that's incredible Um, for a couple of reasons, right? Uh, Immediately, I'm thinking... Uh, one, you have a process that is clear both internally, meaning within your own firm, right? The people beside you in your firm understand what your firm is doing, how it helps its clients so that other people in your firm besides you can actually apply that, right, to to prospective clients. Uh, but then also from an external perspective, right, that you've got prospects coming in that your people can look at those prospects and those prospects can select themselves in and say, Hey, this is a firm we want to work with. Right. And, and that interaction of both the, the external, right. The, the prospects being able to come to your firm and say, this is a firm we want to work with. And internally your staff being able to say, yeah, this seems like a good prospect we want to work with versus no, this, this people, you know, this client or this prospect actually wouldn't be a good client. You've got people in your firm other than you, that not only can, they're not only capable, but you actually trust them to make those calls, to make those determinations for you. For sure. And that was part of the reason why I went out and got a salesperson. Probably the biggest reason. The biggest reason wasn't 
just to go get revenue. The biggest reason was as a firm owner and somebody who started this business and, you know, somebody who started it from zero, right. And just basically picking up every nickel that was on the ground, it becomes really, really easy to sell everything and think that everybody is a great fit. And when, what I found when I did that, not everybody's a great fit. And when not everybody's a great fit, that creates stress on the team. And when the team becomes stressed, that is not a good thing for anybody. And we don't want it. We don't want to promote that environment. We don't want it to be a difficult place to work. Like that's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. So having somebody who's not as emotional about it or who's not prone to be as emotional about it in the, in actually people in this case, in the sales process and under, that understand that, that do the work and have done the work. This is what a good fit is. This is somebody who would stress me out on it on, on a daily basis. It would make me not want to come to work. Just weed those people out because they're going to be way better at doing that than I am for sure. And I'm just going to be prone to mistakes. And I've, I have demonstrated that very healthily over the last five years for sure. Yeah. I know inside my own firm I have too. So is that a, you said both your, your staff account and your salesperson are, are, you know, participate in that process. So is the, do they have the decision of whether to say offer the proposal to the, to the prospect or is that, is that your still your call? Do they need to report back to you so that you tell them whether to do that? Are they making a recommendation to you or are they just making that call on their own? That's a good question. I would say that if they came to me and said, this is just not a good fit, I would just say, okay, fine. That's, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, it's a relatively new process. And so that's not really the way that it's working. The way that it's working is the discovery call happens. I'll watch the recording. I'll provide feedback on how the discovery call went and whether or not somebody's going to be a fit. I mean, I can, I can, I can tell pretty well. Um, and I've found that just even removing myself from being in the moment in that discussion and reviewing it after the fact is super helpful. And I can be a little bit more objective about it. I'm not definitely not perfect, but a little bit more objective. Um, and so I'll just provide feedback. Like, I think this is going to be a a good fit or not, but usually when I'm getting the notification, like, Hey, this discovery call just happened. Usually it's going to come with, yeah, they're going to be a fit or yeah, it's a tier, whatever, or, you know, maybe later, like that sort of thing. Like our, our salesperson, Jeff, like, because he's in every team meeting and because he sees what we do and how we do it, because he has access to past discovery calls and past financial review meetings, meetings with customers and, and all of that information because he's absorbed it and because he's internally un- understands the context, he's gotten really good at just saying, I did a discovery call. It's going to be, you know, the middle package and it's good. Or I did a discovery call and it's not a fit and that's fine. So to answer your question, um, they have that autonomy, that decision-making autonomy to make that decision. Like this is somebody we want to work with or not. Uh, but it's been a little bit more collaborative process just because I think it's so new. Have you gotten any feedback from the perspective client's perspective as far as that process? Because are they right? Did they sign up expecting to talk to a partner or the firm owner or whatever? Right. Because I think that's another perception that probably a lot of firm owners or partners would have is that, you know, if, again, it, it, if it's the partner's name on the sign by the street, and I walk in, I want to do business with this firm. I want to talk to one of those names, right? I don't want to talk to somebody lower on the on the totem pole, right? I, know, I want to at least believe that the person doing the work is one of those, you know, name partners or the owner. Um, so was there any feedback from the 
prospective client, I guess now, you know, actual client on the fact that, yeah, they've never met you. Yeah. Uh, this, this one, no, not yet. Uh, I do think it's, it's important to set that expectation up front. So we had one a couple weeks ago who was in the discovery call process and basically said, uh, am I going to talk to a CPA on, on the discovery process? And you can, like, I know personally for me, for the, for this firm, that that's an immediate red flag and that's not going to be a fit because if that's the expectation, I just, I, I can't do all of the things. I just can't. That's why there's a team and they're totally confident and totally capable. And like, so there are some things I should be involved in, some things I should not be involved in for sure. Um, so setting that expectation up front and just kind of weeding that expectation out, it, I think is important. Part of the, going back to the marketing question and branding and positioning, part of the, a, a large part of the problem that we have is my name is on the firm. And we're working very diligently so that that is not the case, but that's hard. So TBD, work in process. Um, but hopefully that starts to fix some of that. But, you know, and that's part of the reason why we have an accountant on the strategy call, because we set the expectation. And Jeff, the salesperson on, this, on the discovery call, sets the expectation too. The first thing he says is, hey, I'm the sales guy. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a CPA. And I'm not going to be able to answer accounting or, or whatever questions. And his, his famous phrase is like, this is, you know, this relationship is kind of like a marriage and we don't want to go to divorce court in three months. And then this is like, this is my job, right? Is just see if we're a good fit and then we can move forward. There's going to be an accountant on the, who's highly capable on the next call. And then I think, you know, the feedback that I got today from, from that team is that, yeah, it's, it's super important to have an accountant on the strategy call because you can develop that expertise and speak to things that are a little bit more nuanced like the industry benchmarking, like the state of the books, like that, that sort of stuff. Well, it's interesting that, so, so, so one thing that, you know, stands out to me there is you've got, you've got an accountant, you've got a staff accountant on the call, but you, you don't have that, you know, licensed professional. And so the expectation, you can set that expectation if it's not already there early on, that this is not a call in which we're just going to start answering a bunch of, you know, specific tax questions or accounting questions, you know, relative, you know, specific to your situation. We're just here to determine if this would be a good fit. And once you're signed up as a client, we'll start taking care of all that stuff for you. Right. But like, that's not the purpose of this call. And I see a lot of accountants and firm owners struggling with that because if you're still handling the sales calls yourself, so you are that first point of, you know, connection, the expectation getting on that call is, well, I just have a few quick questions. If you could just answer those for me, I could probably go and do my own thing. Right. And so there I've seen, I've seen two different solutions to that. One is you just try to make it as clear as possible that we're not here to answer questions. And then you have to hold yourself to that standard on that call, knowing that you could start answering those questions. You just have to keep telling yourself, Nope, don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. But you've got to train yourself to come up with a response that doesn't completely shut down the prospect on that call. You can't just say, no, I'm not going to answer that question. You've got to come up with a way that wants them to keep stay in the conversation, stay on the call with you, but that also isn't answering the question or the other way to do it. Um, and you know, it's the other way is to just charge for the call, right? Charge for the discovery call and say, yeah, I'll answer a few questions or I'll answer some questions, but I won't answer them in a specific way. Maybe I'll answer them in a general way. Either way, you've got to police yourself, right? Like you've got to, you've got to make sure that you're not just giving away all the answers that they need to go, you know, do the return themselves or set up QuickBooks themselves or whatever they're doing. Right. Um, 
at, but doing it this way, making it to where it's not an actual technically, you know, technically, it's not a technician on the call, right? That, that has all the answers, right? That person's not on the call. So it's clear from the beginning that the purpose of this call is not to answer questions. The purpose of the call is to find out if we're a good fit. Exactly. Exactly right. That's part of the other reason why we have a salesperson is because he can't provide the free value and where somebody gets off the call is like, okay, thanks. Cool. And you know, it's, it's great to do paid consults. Like I think I would separate tax paid consults from CAS paid consults for sure. Like CAS paid consults, I think it's easier to capture a percentage of the value that you would potentially give than in CAS because the CAS value that you can give, I mean, that could be six, seven figures in an absolute heartbeat. And you're not going to get paid consults that are, you know, 10,000 bucks for 15 minutes. Like it's right. You know, that, that's just not going to happen. Um, so I think that's one of the other benefits of having a salesperson for sure. Just somebody to be that, to be, to be that bridge between you and the customer who can look at it a little bit more objectively and, and kind of weed out that sort of thing. Okay. So this, this client is now signed up and still has not met you. What is, is there a step in the process where they do actually get to meet you? Have you figured out that part of the process or do you try to keep that relationship at an arm's length distance for as long as possible or what you're thinking there? Um, probably during the first financial review meeting. So when we actually sit down and walk through the financials, um, assuming that I'm still in that role, then yeah, that'll probably be the first time. And I think that that's okay. But the nuts and bolts accounting, payroll type stuff that, that comes up, um, the bookkeeping type stuff that comes up, no, that's, I don't need to get involved unless there's some sort of a fire that that's happening or there's some sort of a, a higher level strategic question that, that comes up that, that, you know, warrants me having to provide feedback. So this is sort of separating the accountant from like maybe more like the CFO type. So, so controller versus CFO and you'll step in as the CFO, but if it's controller level or below, then keep that, keep that down at the staff level. Interesting. Very cool. Well, yeah, I I'm, I'm impressed. It's definitely a process that I would love at some point to get myself out of not because I don't like getting on those calls. I, I actually like getting on those calls. I like getting on them. I like finding out about what, uh, you know, people are doing, what they're excited about, what they've been working on, all those kinds of things. There's, there's a fun aspect to that. Uh, but of course, like, like most, you know, accountants and, and firm owners who would get on that call, my brain immediately starts kicking into, well, here's how I can help them kind of gear. And so, um, you know, I, I immediately start prescribing and, and no matter how many times I tell myself before those calls, don't prescribe, right. <laughs> you know, just, just listen, right. Just, just ask questions and listen. Um, and, and no, 90 seconds into that call, I'm immediately starting to come up, you know, I'm writing the proposal in my head. Right? Even though, even though I haven't, I haven't found out, you know, a, a, a fraction of a percent of all the stuff I need to find out yet. It's, it's definitely a hard process to unlearn. Sure. But that's one of the steps in turning whatever it is that you have into a business. Right. And like, I, I would define a business as something that you can literally step out of and it would continue to run and grow. Now, maybe you can be the salesperson for a period of time, but if you step like if you just step away from the business, if you go on a vacation for six months or a six months sabbatical and there's no sales function there, then the business can't grow and be sustainable and there's there's no more revenue. So once you're out, the revenue's gone or the new revenue's gone. So you don't have a business. That's a, that's a really good point, right? So again, back to that, 
that traction or entrepreneur operating system, you know, model of the three columns of the business, the sales and marketing, the operations and the finance administration. I think it's really easy for firm owners, business owners, whatever, to immediately start with operations, right? Let's get operations. Let's, let's get that delegated. Let's get it automated. Let's get people hired into operations. Let's get for an accounting firm. Let's get people doing the bookkeeping. Let's get people doing the tax returns. Let's get people running the payroll, right? But then they leave themselves still, you know, they, they're doing their own books for their firms, right? They're, they're running their own payroll, for their firms. They're preparing the tax returns for their own firms and their own sales. And then on the sales and marketing side, right? They're the ones running the social media accounts. They're the ones getting on all the sales calls. They're the ones going to the networking events, right? And so, it, it, like you said, it, it, it's, if it's your name on the firm, then it's also, you, you know, you're the face of the firm. And when people see the firm, they see you. When they see you, they see the firm, right? And it's all one thing. And it becomes more and more difficult to separate those two concepts in the client's mind. And so even though you've got people doing, you've got staff doing the operations, they're still going to want to come to you, right? They're still gonna, going to want to believe that you're the one ultimately doing the work. For sure. 100%. Awesome. So Jeremy, I guess we're bumping up on time. What are the, what are the big takeaways you think? One is uh, for, for me, and this is something that I'm working on in, you know, my own firm and, and have been for a while now is, uh, you know, what, what are we trying to position ourselves uh, in the, in the market as uh, so that we've got the right audience that's hearing the message and therefore the right people showing up looking to be sold to, right? Looking to buy. Um, and so we can make that sales process as, as easy and uh, painless and efficient as possible and effective as possible. Uh, that, and then two, yeah, probably the answer to all that is, is just getting it off my plate, right? I don't need to, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not, probably not the best spokesperson for my own brand for sure. <laughs> Nobody would hire me to be the spokesperson for their brand. So I probably shouldn't be the spokesperson for my own company. Okay. That's something. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely something. I, I'd be the first one to make to, to make that argument. Yeah. So I would just say, you know, the the things to to kind of take away is that sales and marketing are different and understanding their their functions super important. And then if you really truly want to have a business, you've got to get yourself out of the sales function. And if you want to get yourself out of any function, there needs to be a process for it. And either you or somebody else has to build it and maintain it and optimize it for your firm. So those would yeah. be my key takeaways, sir. Absolutely. Yep. Good deal. Cool. Awesome. It's been fun as always. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Thanks again. <laughs>